Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Sheena, coaching is huge in the sales world, and we've been talking a lot about coaching this quarter. I'm curious if you have any coaches that you work with. I do, actually. Um, and, you know, kind of if you look back, the coach coaches in my life have evolved over time. Like in high yeah. school when I played a lot of tennis, it was like my tennis coach that was the go-to, the person that, you know, helped me, helped guide me, helped teach me. Um, and now, different phase of life, but I do have a career coach that I use, um, which is somebody that I meet with every week. We're very consistent. We meet at the same time, same length of time. I actually get homework uh, that I have to you know, typically work on the next day or the day before I meet with my coach so that I'm prepared for my meeting with my coach. Um, but it's something that I look forward to every week because it's that time, it's that 30 minutes where there's somebody who can take a step back and help me take a step back of what I'm doing give me some positive reinforcements of what's working and help me think through like what I could be doing to get to that next step. Right. It may be something simple like, Hey, I'm trying to figure out how to best create this job wreck, or it could be something more complex. I'm, Hey, I'm trying to um, navigate this tough situation with a colleague. Um, but having that outside perspective, somebody to kind of like cheer you on, but also give you practical advice is I have found to be uh, really kind of game changing for me um, over the last year. I hope I'm not that tough colleague. Uh, hopefully not. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I love that. I have a coaching, uh, a career coach as well. I think we're both in the same program. Shout out to BetterUp. We don't really do like paid product placement here, but we both love BetterUp. Mm -hmm. They're fantastic. Um, and, and I agree. And I think what you also mentioned was interesting because it's uh, confirmation of what I'm doing well, kind of like some motivation and inspiration, but then also your coachability going into these sessions every week essentially saying, hey, I've got something I can do better. I want to improve at it. And you keep that open mind, which I have to imagine fuels your progress week over week. Mm -hmm, for sure. Well, if you're wondering why we're talking about Sheena's coaches, it's because we have, well, you could argue the coach of all coaches, uh, Christina Brady, president of Sales Assembly, here with us today for our interview. And I say she's the coach of coaches because she's got advice for coaches who have leadership, uh, you know, reporting to them. So they're coaching their coaches. So I've said coaches way too many times before the interview <laughs> even starts. And we're going to say it a few more as we get into the actual content. So let's go hang out with Christina. All right, Christina, before we dive into the topic today, can you just give us a quick overview of what you do at Sales Assembly and what you're focused on right now uh, in your current role as president? Yeah. Um, so I joined Sales Assembly to basically do every single day, what all of my favorite parts of my job were before. 
Um, so formerly being in executive sales leadership roles, um, a lot of what I did was training and hiring and developing and building and executive management and initiatives and, and all of those types of things. Um, and I've been doing that for about 15 years. And so I have started to develop sort of an ad hoc playbook in my mind of here's what really, really works for tech companies to build into their revenue orgs. Um, and here's here's the mistakes that a lot of people make. And here's the right way and the wrong way. And I, I've just learned a lot. And so by being able to join Sales Assembly, my entire job is to not only um, tweak our programs to make sure that they are incredibly meaningful and useful for our members, but also build out new programs that are continuing to address gaps. Um, and then additionally, our core mission is to help our members scale. Um, and a lot of the programs that I am building are meant to incorporate what companies need to be able to scale um, enablement, learning and development, strategy, networking, um, all of those types of things that a lot of companies also then wind up having to go and spend a lot of money externally to bring in and learn how to do. And the more budget that you spend on those types of things that aren't a direct ROI, the harder it is to scale and grow the way that you need to. And so my job is I'm looking out for gaps that exist right now. Where do companies really need help based on what roles they have and then building programming to directly address that need. Um, so for me, it's incredibly fulfilling. So high level, I am managing programs, initiatives. I do a lot of facilitating and a lot of building content. And then just in general, interacting with the community and keeping my ear to the ground and hearing what people need and then finding a way to give them that. So that's what I do. And I'm a big fan of Sales Assembly. I've been to your guys' events. Uh, we've partnered on a lot of different things. So I love what you guys are up to. Thanks. That makes me happy. That's what I want to make sure that everybody says and feels. So your check is in the mail. <laughs> so Christina, I read that before you fell in love with sales, you majored in theater at Columbia College Chicago. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you see anything in common between selling and performing on stage? It's like, it's almost the same exact thing. Um, I mean, for me, I, I've always been uh, an artist, if you will. I come from a family of, of artists. My dad was a famous opera singer. My mom was the pianist of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And I just grew up with my family supporting the arts. And what's interesting about theater, which for me, I wanted to, I wanted to be on a sitcom. Like I, I, I like, I wanted to live in comedy. I did a lot of improv and, and, you know, um, I did some commercial work and just all of this stuff growing up. And what I realized is, um, Art develops the brain in a way that nothing else can. Um, you think critically, you think strategically, you think creatively in and of itself, and you think quickly. And so to me, sales is all about that. It's all about being creative, being strategic, solving problems, creating something that doesn't exist, taking chances, being bold, being brave. Um, to get on stage in front of a thousand people and recite lines and do it in a way that is believable uh, is terrifying and it requires that kind of bravery. And so when you think about honing that and bottling it into a sales role, your job is talking to people, your job is guiding people, your job is thinking on your feet. And so it's almost the same thing. It's the same kinds of skills and strategy that you need to be able to be an artist in a lot of different forms and bottle it into the way in which you hone 
hone in on your craft. And I truly believe that sales and sales process and methodology, um, it's a craft, it's, it's an art, and it's something that should be deliberate. So I think it's almost the same thing. So it was natural for me to transition from you know, being in the theater and film industry into sales, um, it felt so natural. And I think most people who are in sales have some sort of artistic flair, whether it's theater or painting or dancing is just, it's, it's an environment full of people who have this like artistic spark. I love that. I love the, um, you know, being able to think creatively and on the spot. I think that's like why a lot of folks in sales end up testing out improv, you know, they, they want to hone that aspect of their abilities. And for you having done that for years and years since you were a child is really unique. And I also, the other thing that's interesting is you often hear of, you know, like folks in sales were athletes, they played sports, but there's this whole other side of the skills and that you can bring to the table by being an artist, by being a creative person um, as a sales rep, as a sales leader. So I, I think it's, it's very interesting and unique. Christina, I imagine that as you were learning sales, you were the first person to throw your hand up when it was time to do like uh, role play for, you know, discovery calls and demos and all that. I imagine you thrived there. You know, what's so funny about that is I feel like in my position and from what I train people on, I need to be like, oh, yeah. Um, but I hated role playing. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of salespeople do, too, because the pressure of being perfect. Um, it's the pressure of being perfect that I think is the same thing that makes artists apprehensive to get on stage. It's what's terrifying about being a stand-up comedian. It's what, it's what's terrifying about being an improv. And it's what's terrifying, frankly, about a role play is you feel like there's the pressure to be perfect. And so for me, I remember as a seller, anytime there was an opportunity to do a role play, I knew that I could do it, but the fear of like, what if it's not perfect terrified me and often impacted my performance. And so as a sales leader, I understood and I still understand the importance of that as a sales training tool. However, the psychology is you have to make people feel like it's a safe space to make a mistake. And when you know that it's a safe place to make a mistake, the role play becomes much easier. It's the reason why an improv class, super fun, being in an improv show can be absolutely terrifying because one of them has the pressure to be perfect where the other one doesn't. And so I would always volunteer to do the role play because I knew I could do it, but I had that fear. But what it taught me was this is, this is something that you need as a seller to get better at doing it, but how do we make this more approachable for people so that it's more widely used? And so I approach a lot of things with what is the psychology behind making this feel okay? Um, so kind of a dual answer there, but it's the way that I approach it. Um, but, but this is a perfect segue into our topic today because, you know, we're really curious to learn your perspective on sales coaching, specifically from a leadership role, coaching the coach and helping sales managers become better leaders. So just to start off, can you share your take on coaching and why you think it's so impactful for sales leaders to be great at it? I mean, in order to effectively coach, it means that you have to know your people inside and out. And I think the mark of a good leader is somebody who cares about the numbers and performance second, but cares about their people first. And when you care about your people first, then the things that you're thinking about are, are they fulfilled? Are they motivated? Are they living in their passion? And then from a business standpoint, do I have the right people in seat? And if I do have the right people in seat, Am I making sure that I'm coaching people where they need me? Am I meeting them where they are? Meaning, do I need to coach you up or do, do you already have amazing skills and I have to find a way to get you better or get you to the next step? Um, so I think being a good coach first means I have to know my people and I have to want to know my people. 
So to me, like the fir- the importance of coaching is 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 paramount because it just comes down to are you in a leadership role for the right reasons, which is really the people. Like sales leaders go into it because yes, they like to compete and they like to be number one and they and they maybe they're organizational and they like to build programs, but really it's because you like helping people and you want to help develop people and you have great ideas um, and you never want to sleep at night because your calendar is always full. All of those reasons why people go into sales leadership. Um, but coaching is unbelievably important just in the people to people aspect. And in terms of the mark of a good coach is, are you learning the person first so that you know how and where to coach them? You can't look at it like a blanket. And I think a lot of sales managers at first look at coaching like a blanket, like, well, I got to coach my team. And, you know, if everyone's not at 100%, then I coach them to 100%. And that's what it looks like. But it's so much more than that. Can you elaborate a little bit more on some of the skills of what makes a good coach? And is it natural? Like, am I born a good coach or can I learn it? A little bit of both, Um, you know, and I always hate to give what feels like a cop-out answer. I think that great coaches are born in the sense that you are somebody who wants to help other people grow and develop, and you want to make a difference that is larger than yourself. And that is not to say that people in leadership are heroes by any means, Um, but it does mean that you have these aspirations of like, I don't want to just focus on what I'm doing. I want to make a larger impact, and I want to do that through people. So when you think about what makes an effective coach, there's a lot of markers you can look at. You can look at coaches needing to have their own high level of self-awareness. A coach has to not only be super aware of what the people on their team are doing, how they're behaving, how they're performing, how they're feeling, what motivates them, what they're passionate about, their personal and professional goals, and how what they do every day will either accomplish or not accomplish those things but also all of those things introspectively about themselves. A lot of times coaches aren't getting coached. And so they have to have that high level of self-awareness. They have to consistently manage duality. They have to have a 10,000 foot view of the company and their team and a 10 foot view of that one individual who may meaningfully need them in that moment for something that may or may not be business related. Um, Then you think to some other ideas around what makes them effective. Ability to solve problems um, in some cases or teach solutions in other cases. Do they have a passionate interest and desire to help the people on their team achieve what they want to achieve? Um, There's so many things, strategic thinking skills, openness to new ideas. Are they trustworthy? Questioning and listening skills. It's like the list for an effective coach goes on and on and on. Um, And it's often so much more than people think it's going to be when they first step into that role. And kind of on the flip side, are there things that people often put on that list of what a good coach is, but you don't agree with that? Like you're looking at the wrong thing. Like this actually does not qualify as a good coach. I would, there's, there's a couple things that actually fall on that list. To me, I think people often think that the best coaches or sales leadership are people with the lowest levels of attrition, right? It's like your team, like you don't have any attrition. People want to work for you. They stay like, you must be an amazing coach. Um, and for me, a good coach is actually making sure that you have people where they are in an effective way for them individually, for the team and for the overall company. And so I think a lot of managers are so worried about 
hiring, firing, performance management, moving in the organization that they think in order to be successful, I have to keep my team intact exactly where it is. And they often miss opportunities to coach people career-wise in the right direction. Um, so being a great coach doesn't mean one, that everybody likes you and loves you all the time. It's not about being liked. It's about being respected and it's about having buy-in. Um, if your people as a manager, if they like you, like that's amazing. You're most likely a likable person, but it's not the end all be all. So it's not about being, a, a, it's not about a popularity contest. Um, a lot of people blur the line personally and professionally when it comes to leadership in terms of how close should I build a friendship with the people on my team. Um, and that's somewhat of a blurry line where I think people make a lot of mistakes. Um, and then just what success looks like. There's a lot of success criteria that's laid out for sales managers or coaches um, that really don't define their effectiveness. And a lot of those are simply tying metrics to the business metrics. Meaning if you have a team performing at 100%, you must be an amazing coach. And if you have a team performing at 50%, you must be a terrible one. Um, in no way, shape or form is that true, almost ever. Yeah, and I think an interesting part of coaching is the growth. Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about like the personalization, like how can you look at a point in time of how you took an individual from A to B and how does that evolve for each person on your team? Like growth is such an important part of coaching. Yeah. And it's rarely linear too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's another mistake that people make about coaching is that it's linear, right? It's either up or it's all the way down where people are so much more fluid than that. And so a, I, I think of the effectiveness of coaching uh, in terms of agility and absorption. So in terms of agility is can I pivot quickly and can I pivot my people quickly and my tactics and my coaching style quickly, depending on what's going on with either that individual or the world or the company or just that week. And then also absorption. Like, can you have a really, really rough week personally and still find a way to continue on in your job? Or can your team be having a really, really hard month? And how do you manage that? How do you absorb the weight of that and continue to move forward? And sometimes that means that, you know, instead of looking like a solid line up or a solid line down, there's a lot of ups and downs. And some of the best performers um, or best coaches have their really, really high highs and their really, really low lows. And that's also okay, though. It's expected. Christina, like, what is the difference between, you know, frontline managers and mid-level managers coaching reps versus, you know, SVPs, CROs, coaching coaches? Like, do, you, do you have any insights there that, that you can share? From a business standpoint, it is the multiple levels of removal from the end result. And the further that you get from the ability to impact that end result, the more qualitative you have to get with your coaching versus quantitative. And so what I mean by that is if I am a frontline manager, I have to be able to recognize when one of my reps has a skill set that is deficient and coach to that skill set. If I am a director who is managing a sales manager, I have to coach you to learn how to identify that skill set and then make sure that you have the tools that you need to coach to that skill set. So the further up you move, the more removed you get from the actual end result and the more it is in teaching people how to recognize when that end result isn't being met and then making sure that they have the skills to coach to it. So by the time you're talking about a CRO who is then maybe like training a VP on being a coach to a director, you think about how complicated it gets and how you have to hone in on like, okay, 
at this point, we're not even talking about rep A's skill set deficiency. We're talking about your ability, again, to have that 10,000 or 10 foot view. And it's like, how are you evaluating your people? And then even when you think virtually, my God, it gets 10 times harder. In every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. Self-awareness is critical for becoming a more effective coach. When we see ourselves clearly, we're more confident, build stronger relationships, and are better communicators. But how many of us are truly self-aware? Well, according to an HBR study of nearly 5,000 participants, even though most people believe they are self-aware, only about 10 to 15% of them actually fit that description. And it turns out that there are actually two types of self-awareness. The first is internal self-awareness, how clearly we see our own values, passions, aspirations, and impact on others. And the second is external self-awareness, which is how well we understand how other people see us. Here's the surprising twist. Being good at one type of awareness doesn't automatically mean we're good at the other. That means we all need to be careful not to assume that our internal self-awareness, how we see ourselves, means we truly understand how other people see us. Stay tuned to the micro action at the end of the episode for tips to help you increase your impact as a leader and coach. I like to think of myself as a good coach. I think, uh, you know, Sheena, stay on mute. Don't tell me if I'm, uh, no, (laughs) but all great um, coaches. (laughs) Yeah. But I always think, you know, I love the, you know, we also, everyone at Gong said, uh, you know, pause. So if something comes up, it's easy to go, you know, hey, pop over your monitor. Hey, Christina, let's go chat about this. Or, you know, you're in your team stand up and everyone's in the room and there's a total different energy. And I think coaching can kind of naturally come up there. Uh, I, I desperately miss those occasions. We don't have them anymore. So I'm, I'd love to hear from you, you know, what can coaches or coaches of coaches do to still kind of get that, that energy or even just that insight to know what they should be coaching on this week, this month, this quarter. First thing that I will say is we've spent a lot of time as a society talking about how we replicate energy like that. We've talked about like, how do we get that same sort of snappy, like we're all in the office, we can turn over and talk to our friend, like how do we replicate that energy? And what I've learned is that like, we just, we don't and we can't and we should stop trying. And it's not about replicating that energy, it's about creating a new energy that can be sustainable, that can be applied either in the office or outside of the office. So the first large advice is, you're not going to get that same feeling that you have in the office with the person next to you and to continue to strive for that. um, The juice isn't worth the squeeze. And so instead it's, we are going to embrace the fact that we can still make connections as human beings and help each other improve, even if I'm not next to you. And it's not the same, but different is okay too. And so the first part of it is making a deliberate, consistent planned approach to wanting to learn who your people are and then wanting to coach them. So the first thing is when you think about what is important to human beings and how you learn how to coach them, there's a couple of things that you have to make sure that you handle before you're ready to coach somebody. And one is the person that you're coaching, whether that's an individual contributor or another leader, do you know why they're in the job that they're in? Like, why are they in this job at this company today? What has happened to them in their life that led them here? What experiences helped form who they are? What are their communication style and patterns? How do they like to be coached? I, I think that if you ask somebody, how do you like to be coached? Not one person's gonna be like, definitely in person. It's 
going to be in person. No, they're going to talk about qualitative measures. They're going to talk about how you communicate to them and how often. So the first thing that you have to know is you can't guess virtually how somebody wants or needs to be coached. You have to ask them. So that's the new process is this is how I like to coach. How do you like to be coached? You have to ask people more deliberately where they think their skill sets and gaps are. And then you have to maniacally look out for what they may be missing. So self-awareness on the individual contributor side as a coach, you now need to coach your individual contributors to have a high level of self-awareness. After they get off of a sales call, they have to be able to identify what went really, really well and what is tied to a process that is repeatable and what didn't go well and what didn't go well. I'm going to meet with my peer mentor or my coach or my manager or my buddy or whoever and say, this really didn't go well. And I'm trying to tie it down to a part of my process that's broken so that I can work on fixing it. So extreme ownership becomes very, very important in a virtual selling environment. And as a coach, you're coaching to that self-awareness. You're coaching to extreme ownership and you're coaching to the behavior of developing those things. Um, Making a deliberate career path for people is more important than ever. Like all of us are sitting in an enclosed room right now and we're not in our office and we're not with our friends and we're not talking and rubbing elbows with pe you know, people at the company. And oftentimes people are thinking, what's next for me? Like, am I going to get a new job? Am I going to get promoted? Am I going to get laid off? I have no idea. So one way to connect with your people and coach them is simply develop a career path. And if somebody says, I'm an account executive today, but I would love to be an enterprise account executive in a year. Bam, now I know where you want me to coach you. So let's talk about how every day we take steps to get you to that next level. And that's gonna come with skill. It's gonna come with behavior. It's gonna come with process. And now all of those things, you can not only coach to them, but also tie them to that individual's ultimate attainment goals. And so it feels more meaningful, even though I'm not in the room with you. Um, and there's also a heck of a lot more, but I'll pause for a second because I start to get real nervous when I feel like I'm just taking up air time, just blowing wind at everybody. No, that was great. It sounds like it's like self-awareness and understanding where people's trajectory are or yeah. trajectory is because it's you kind of need to know individually where I want to go. And it sounds like the manager or the coach needs to understand also where you've been mm -hmm. Then if you understand, you know, where you are and where you want to go, it's a lot easier, like you said, to like create some sort of, you know, program or, or, or what have you to get them there. But I like that a lot. I think self-awareness is something I haven't really considered or maybe considered, but hadn't really like put that label on it in terms of why it's so important. Yeah. So I suspect that when a manager who manages individual reps gets promoted where they're now managing folks who manage others. So you're now like the coach of coach. Mm -hmm. There are different skills that you need to develop that you didn't necessarily have before. So what is your advice to folks who are now in that role where you are managing managers? What skills should they hone in and master first? I would say the difference between problem solving and creating solutions and like making that not sound super buzzy as an individual contributor, you have a lot of awareness around what problems exist, but naturally with your role, you have very little control over the solution to those problems. So the solution oriented mindset that you have to develop as an individual contributor is how do I solve 
my skills in creating urgency? How do I get more people to listen to my demos? Like, how do I propose something within my own sphere of influence, which, which often is just my own book of business and my own process. So the ability to recognize problems within the larger organization and across different departments is vast because as an individual contributor, you're impacted by all the lines of business, but you have very little autonomy to make any massive change. You move one level up to be a manager and it's like 50-50, 50% of the time you're recognizing, hey, there are these processes or programs or products that are impacting my team's or individual's ability to be the best that they can be. And I'm recognizing these problems and I'm teaching them to solve their own smaller problems. But then additionally, I'm having to now learn how to propose solutions and solve problems. But I still can't really solve all of them. So it's like 50-50 where I'm recognizing problems and I'm throwing them up at my boss. But then I'm also starting to teach people to catch their own fish. Same thing. When you move up one level higher, now it skews. Now you have a lot more control in the organization. You've hopefully developed relationships with other lines of business like revenue ops or sales operations or IT or finance product. All of the people that you need to run the machine as a third or second line leader, you have those relationships, but you also have the ear of the executives in the company to say, what do you need to drive your business? So as you continue to move up and be promoted, you sometimes have to get yourself out out of that, oh, this is a problem, I'm going to go tell my boss. Because it's like, no, that is me. Like now, instead of me going and running this up, I get to the point where the problem stops here. And so I would say when you get to that second or third line leader, you have to take on that mentality of the problem stops here. I am now absorbing the issues and I am the solution. And only when I hit a massive roadblock with that will I filter it up. But when I filter this up, I am filtering up my proposed solution. I have put together a budget. I have a long-term and short-term plan. And I've basically built out a process for building and initiating to not only impact the company, but impact my team. So there's actually a huge leap in mentality and overall skill set between a frontline sales manager and a second or third line director or VP. It's actually a pretty massive jump. And I think that's also the area of training on a skill set basis that is the most lacking, especially in tech, is training from being a manager, like a traditional manager to a traditional director. There's a huge gap there, um, but a big difference in roles that I think a lot of people in their first director VP seat um, wind up drowning a little bit because they can't quite make that switch because nobody warned them. <laughs> Given there this, this lack of training around that area, are there uh, solutions that you recommend folks look at? Are there third party trainings? Are there, uh, you know, do you recommend that they go to other mentors, you know, find a mentor who's a few steps above you? Like, what are some of the things that folks should do given that lack? Um, I mean, shameless plug, a lot of the programming that that I'm building um, with sales assembly is attacking that specific persona. It's attacking the persona of, I am now a leader and now I need to move into a more executive seat. And what, like, what do I actually have to know in order to do that? Um, and so I, I think one, it's companies raising awareness and actually like putting the time to let people know, like, this is a massive shift and you have to put some kind of manpower behind learning the skills and tactics that you need to do it successfully. A lot of companies can't facilitate that internally. So having a professional mentor, using a third party company to help you develop those soft and those hard skills. Um, and then also what every company can own is 
getting a mission statement behind every role at their company. So if you are an account executive at this company, this is what it means. This is what you're responsible for. This is what we expect from you. And actually building out that mission statement per role can help the company to frame it so that if I'm at that company and I'm moving from a manager to a director seat, I can understand from a company standpoint what is expected of me. And then I should at that point have the ability to identify where my gaps are and be able to go ahead and proactively fill those with whatever tools or resources I have. But most people that I know feel like moving into leadership feels like I'm pushed into a swimming pool, but like I can swim. Like I know how to swim. I'm pushed in the pool. I'm like wet. It's kind of uncomfortable, but like I got it. Like I can swim and eventually this is going to be fun. We're going to be at a water park. Whereas going from being a manager to a director is like pushed into an empty void where you're like, I'm falling. What's at the bottom? <laughs> you know, it's like, is it water? Is it rocks? Nobody told me. And you just feel like you're falling and screaming into an empty void. Um, and that's dramatic, but also like a little bit real. I mean, I made that jump um, myself. And I just remember that feeling of like, okay, I didn't really realize the big shift here and I'm just falling and screaming and, you know, I guess I got to pick myself up. And so even in the beginning of the conversation, asking like, what, what are you doing and building in your role right now? For me, it's that I think back to every moment in my career where I've had that moment of like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know how to get help for the things that I don't know. I am trying to actively solve for that <laughs> by like making sure that as many people as possible don't feel that. Or when they are feeling that, they're like, wait, I'm falling, but I think it's water at the bottom because I'm going to go over here and get help. So I like that a lot. Again, I think it goes back to the self-awareness, yeah. right? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? And what can I do to stop feeling that way? Mm -hmm. Exactly. This has been great. I really enjoyed it, Christina. I'd, I'd love to uh, wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests, yeah. uh, which is, how would you describe fails in one word? Uh, I am so glad that I got this question ahead of time because I would have just sat and stared at you and been like, um, and I really thought about this and I thought about what, what sales is and what is the end in mind for somebody who wants to become a seller or somebody being sold to? Like, how do I want to feel when I'm selling you something? And how do I want to feel when I'm being sold to? And the word I landed on was guidance. Mm, I like it. I like that. So as a seller, if you're approaching your conversations like I want to sell you something, um, that is fruitless. If you are going into a conversation of I want to guide you in the right direction to make a choice for yourself or your business that is going to meaningfully improve your way of life, then you're approaching things with guidance. And not only will you make better sales, but you'll make them for the right reasons. And then as somebody being sold to, you would hope the person selling to you is trying to guide you in the right direction. And guidance also means I have the opportunity to say no. And I think so many salespeople go into it with no being a bad thing, but really it's just about how quickly can you uncover when it's a no so you can move on and stop wasting your time. And that's also another element of guidance. So to me, Sales in one word, it's guidance. That's great. I love how it ties into our conversation of, you know, also being a guide to your team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, that, that is very, very fitting. Well, Christina, it was so much fun having you on the show. Say hi to the entire Sales Assembly crew. We love them here at Gong, and we can't oh. wait to uh, partner again on some live events in the, in the, in the upcoming future. Uh, but thanks again for all your insights on how to coach the coaches. 
Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. And thank you too. And I just, I have to say that when I was first a seller, I don't want to say how many years ago, because I like to give this impression that I'm like super young and relatable, but if something, <laughs> if something like Gong existed when I was a seller, um, I can't even imagine where I would be right now. Um, I just want to say that I think Gong is incredible because you solve a large problem that exists by giving people visibility into their own sales process and you provide a mirror when so many people don't know how to find one. Um, so I, I can only imagine the sellers of today who have a tool like Gong, what they're going to be able to accomplish in years to come. So I am equally excited and honored to just be invited to be here talking to you and just to be a part of the Gong family. So thanks for having us too. Every week we like to bring you a micro action, something you can think about or put into play. If you're looking to troubleshoot your own coaching style and increase your impact as a leader, ask yourself these following questions. Do I really know and care about my people, why they're in this job and with this company? Am I creating a safe space to make mistakes? Do I ask how they like to be coached or am I guessing or assuming? And lastly, am I truly self-aware? If you're not sure, we've dropped a link to a self-awareness assessment in the show notes. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.